0: And welcome to Risky Business's coverage of the Ossert 2011 conference here on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. This coverage from the Ossert conference is brought to you by the fine people at Microsoft. Uh, without Microsoft support, we wouldn't be able to do this, so big thanks to them uh, for making this possible. You're about to hear an excerpt from the opening keynote from the Ossert conference, which was done by comedian Bennett Aaron. A few years ago, Bennett Aaron was in serious debt. He owed thousands of pounds to mobile phone companies, catalogues and department stores. But it wasn't him, because as it turned out he was a victim of identity theft. Years later he wound up writing a comedy show about this experience and uh, he eventually directed and presented a documentary for Channel 4 in the UK called How to Steal an Identity. In that documentary, he actually stole the identity of the then Home Secretary, Charles Clarke. He wound up being arrested over that in a dawn raid, but uh, you'll be pleased to know he was never convicted over that. Anyway, Bennett was kind enough to allow Risky Business to play an excerpt from his talk. The whole talk is about an hour long, and it's very entertaining stuff. So obviously, if you're listening out there, you should book him for your next uh, exotically located conference uh, and or event. Uh, And big thanks to Bennett for allowing us to play this chunk of his talk. Now, I'll drop you in here where he's talking about what happened after his identity was stolen.
1: So then I thought to myself, well, if these accounts are still up and running in my name with the phone company, are there any others? So I called the other companies. Littlewoods Home Shopping, a home shopping company, told me that there was an account still up and running and active in my name. So I spoke to their customer services department and they said, yes, it is up and running. I explained the whole situation to them, what was going on. I said, do you have an active address on this account? They said, yes, Mr. Aaron. I said, brilliant, can you give it to me? And they said, no. And I said, why? And they said, well, you just explained the situation to us, so it's not you. We can't give you somebody else's information. And I said, I know, but he's pretending to be me. And they said, therefore, not you. And under the Data Protection Act, we can't give you that. I said, fine. And I hung up. Half an hour later, and this is one of my favorite things ever, I rang back, pretended I was me, and asked them where I lived. <laughs> and they told me. So I was now living in a very fancy apartment in Paddington, central London, so I was doing quite well. Um, so that night, that night my, my wife and I drove down to this apartment. She says I never take her out. Um, so we sat there waiting for me to come home. And eventually, I saw the guy walk up to his front door. And I promise you, I didn't know what to do. Part of me just wanted to go up and, and hit him, and I didn't. And the only reason I didn't, the only reason, was because he was huge. So, anyway, we watched him We watched him going into the house, and we sat there for about half an hour because we hadn't finished our sandwiches. Um, the next day, I contacted uh, CID, and I said, Look, I've tracked down the person. Here's his name. Here's his address. This is where he is. And they went, Oh, thank you very much. That's brilliant, as so I'm just doing my job. Anyway, so I said, Look, let me know when the case goes to court. I'd like to be a witness. To be truthful with you, I wanted to go in the witness protection team and get a new identity. But anyway, <clears throat> so they said they would let me know. And that was it. There was nothing else I could do. I had done what I'd set out to do, and that was fine. Slowly letters came through uh, from the company, clearing my name, and we, we we started to try and get back on with, with, with our lives. Uh, a couple of months later, my daughter was born. We named her Yasmin after a bit of an argument, and uh, I know uh, I know every father says their daughter's the most beautiful girl in the world, but but they're wrong. Although to be honest with you, I was half expecting her to be Nigerian. But anyway. <laughs> um, And the letters came through of the company saying that they accepted the fact it wasn't me, that they they knew, um, and and clearing my name. And then I got to thinking. I was suddenly interested to know how this person had managed to do what they had done. How had they managed to take my identity in the first place? I, I didn't know. So I wrote to all the companies again. They were delighted to hear from me. And I said, can you tell me what proof of ID was used ...for these things to have been taken out in my name. Initially, they didn't want to reply, but I kept on and on, and eventually I found out. And believe it or not, this is how it happened. The home shopping company sent out little postcards. On this postcard, it said, would you like a catalogue? This had gone to my previous address, even though it had post-redirected. It had slipped through, got the previous address, the guy living at the address had ticked yes, sent it back... They'd sent him a catalog and an order form. He'd ordered something. I don't know what, probably tacky. They'd sent it to him and set up an account in my name. With that account, he went to the independent mobile phone shop and said, this is me. Can I have a phone? They'd gone, why not have two? From there, he went to Harrods and so on and so forth. It had all started from this tiny mail shot. When I found out about this, as you can imagine, I was furious. I wrote to the company and I said, you've allowed this to happen. This is all down to you. It's not my fault. It has nothing to do with me. You've allowed this to happen and I want compensation. And each company wrote back and said, you're quite right. How much do you want? (laughs) I'm joking. Um, They all wrote back and said the same thing. That they didn't feel it was their fault that they had acted in good faith. The home shopping company actually said to me, this is happening quite a lot. So because of that, they stopped sending out these postcards. Two weeks after that letter, I received a postcard. They'd taken my personal information from our personal correspondence and put it on the mailing list. I wrote to them and told them, and um, and this is the reply. Oh, by the way, um, it's not that I don't trust anybody here. I just covered up my address. Don't take it. (laughs) Don't take it personally. I'm not sure if you can read it, but I'll just go through the bit uh, that's here. Whilst we sympathize with with the distress you've been caused, we feel we acted in good faith. On the issue of the mailings, I would like to point out that these mailings arose entirely separately. The fact we started to send mailings at this time was purely coincidental. P.S. Our pants are on fire. So after speaking to this company, I, uh, I contacted the other company. The next one I spoke to was the mobile phone company. For the next nine months, we had 125 letters go back and forth between us. One letter from them would say, You're quite right, uh, we spoke to our lawyers, uh, you are entitled to conversation. The next one would say, No, we spoke to another lawyer who says you're not. The next one would say, Yes, you are. It went on and on. During that time, they changed managing director twice. I only hope that was down to me. Um, I eventually gave up writing to them when I received this letter uh, Dear Mr. Arendt, thank you for your letter, blah, blah. If someone is fraudulently using your details, I would suggest you report the matter to the police who will in turn carry out an investigation. What a brilliant idea! Except I'd done that, and they had a copy of the police report. Now, you might be wondering to yourselves, well, what happened with the police? Well, what happened with the guy? Had he gone to jail? I didn't know. Nobody had come back to me. And then I received this letter from Harrods which says, um, firstly, I want to express my regret and concern that this fraud occurred and that you have suffered as a consequence of it. That's nice, really. Um, Oh, the loser is always the credit provider. No, it's not. Um, Whilst I can accept you have suffered stress, inconvenience, and loss because of this crime, I cannot accept your claim for compensation against Harrods Card Services since we have not been negligent and we are also victims. Oh, I felt terrible. So I sent them some money. They then go on. I know we've informed you that the police have decided not to pursue the matter with the perpetrator, but of course that does not stop you from bringing a civil action against this person for your loss. I'm sure the police would be willing to supply the appropriate information to assist you in any such action. What were they talking about? I didn't know anything about that. Eventually, I got hold of my contact at CID, and believe it or not, even though I'd given the name... And the address, they had taken three months to go to arrest him, by which time he'd moved on. So that was it. I'd done as much as I could do. I wasn't being compensated. Nothing was happening. I just had to put this behind me. If that's my mum, it's not going badly. Um, So we moved on, and I put this whole thing behind me. And I did that for the next few years. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine who works for an advertising agency contacted me. Identity theft was now becoming quite big news. And this company um, was bringing out a card and bringing out a system that helped people to try and avoid uh, identity theft. And they wanted to speak to people who'd had experience of it. And he said, would I mind speaking to them? I said, no, that's fine. So I spoke to them. I told them the, the, my whole story. At the end of which, they said, you know, we've spoken to over 100 people, and your story is the worst. I went, yeah, oh. Um... They then said, "Would I mind being interviewed by the press?" And I said, "No, that's fine." So I don't know if any of you know the um, the Sun newspaper, um, but they they interviewed me. Here's a copy of that picture. You can see there's Sarah buying two boob jobs. Always, always best to have both done, I think. Um, and uh, and there's there's me, uh, as you can see, wearing a Superman T-shirt. Yeah, hidden identity. Always thinking. Um, and they said to me. Do you talk about this in your normal stand-up routine? And I said, well, I don't. I didn't think anybody would be interested, really. And they thought, they, they actually, the, the journalist said to me, well, I, th- I think they would. be. I think there's a story in that. There's something in that. And that's what made me think about it. And I thought, well, maybe there is. Maybe there is something um, in this that would be uh, of interest. So I wrote a show. And I wrote the show, and I took the show to the Edinburgh Festival. And it did did very well in the Edinburgh Festival. As a result of that, two things happened. The first thing that happened, I was asked to be the guest speaker at the International Fraud Convention in Poland. Yeah, you've all dreamt it. I did it. (laughs) And and it was very interesting. It was very interesting because I did this convention and hardly anybody spoke English, Um, similar to today. But hardly anybody... uh, (laughs) So everybody was wearing everybody was wearing headphones. And it was really weird. Because I would do a, a joke, and the English-speaking people would laugh. They'd have to wait for it to be translated into Polish, and the Polish would laugh. Then into Italian, and the Italians would laugh. Then into German. And... But it was really... Um... <laughs> it, was a, it was. It was. It was an interesting, uh, interesting experience. The other thing that happened, the other thing that happened as a result um, of doing my show in Edinburgh, I was asked by Channel 4, if I would make a documentary on the subject of identity theft. Obviously, I jumped at the opportunity, not only because it's a good way of putting uh, what I wanted to say across and that any people know, it also meant I was on telly. Um, so, so I said yes. In the documentary... Um, did, did anybody here see the documentary, by the way, by a show of hands? Brilliant. Two people. Lovely. Yeah. after shortlisted. Anyway, probably something else on... Uh, Rugby or something. Anyway, um, so in the documentary, I did, uh, I did a couple of things. The first thing I did was that I chose somebody at random from the phone book to try and steal their identity. And I chose, uh, I'm a big comic book fan, and I chose somebody with the name Peter Parker. Because, obviously, as you know, Peter Parker is the real name of the Hulk. So I, um, <laughs> so I did that, just at random, honestly, from the phone books. I went to his house at 1 o'clock in the morning, went through his bins... He had thrown away a bank statement and a pin. He just ripped it and thrown it away. It's on the program. Um, With that, I opened accounts in his name, bizarrely. You can have a look at the program and and see what happened. The other thing I did, which is uh, what I'm going to show you now uh, in a second, I set up a little shopping stall in South Wales where I'm from. And I said to people, I can stop you from having your identity stolen if you give me your personal details. Yeah. You're probably thinking, no way. Uh, One of my favorite bits um, when I did that, uh, which, which is filmed, it wasn't in the final cut. One of the guys who gave me all his details, he walked away, stopped, turned back and said, hang on. Is this a scam? And I said, no. And He said, I just had to check. The um, documentary, by the way, if you want to see it, it's, uh, it's online on my website, benadaron.com. There's a link on there um, if you want to have a look at it. Um, the other thing I did in the program, the thing that was going to cause me the most problem, was that I was asked by Channel 4, or rather told, that I would have to steal the identity of somebody in authority. Um, initially, I was going to go after the Prime Minister at the time, uh, who was Tony Blair, I don't know if any of you remember him, the Christian warmonger. But instead, <laughs> instead, I decided to go after the then Home Secretary, Charles Clark, who was bringing out ID cards, which is something I, I'm, I'm against. Um, so I thought I would show him, if I could, how easy it is to steal someone's identity by going after him. So I applied, <clears throat> excuse me, I applied online for a birth certificate in the name of Charles Clark. Three days later, I received that through the post. With that, I applied for a driving license in the name of Charles Clark. Within a month, uh, just in case uh, you don't know, that, that's uh, who he is, by the way, good-looking guy. Um, within a month, I had received that, which is a driving license in the name of Charles Clark with my photo on it. So I wrote to the Home Office... I wrote to the Prime Minister, I wrote to the police, I wrote to the Driving License Association, I wrote to my mum. I told everybody what I had done. Nobody was interested, my mum was worried, but nobody else else was interested. The programme was due to air in September. In the middle of August, at 6 o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on my door, Uh, I thought it was Jehovah's Witnesses, Um, uh, in retrospect, I wish it had been. Uh, I went down and there were three... CID officers there from Scotland Yard, two men and a lady. I don't know why there were three. The lady could have taken me on her own. Um, They said to me, we are arresting you on suspicion of having obtained a driving license in the name of Charles Clark. I said, well, there's no suspicion. I've done it. Not only have I done it, I told you I did it. And I filmed myself doing it. They said, yes, we're arresting you on suspicion <laughs> of having done that. I said, okay, wait a moment. And I got the driving license and I said, here it is. I've done it. And they said, Mr. we're arresting you on suspicion of having obtained that. <laughs> I said, it's here. I've done it. They said, look, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. So they arrested me. They took all the information I'd collated uh, for the documentary. I I gave them a copy, uh, a DVD copy of the documentary, all the paperwork I had. And they put me in the back of a police car. Oh, as they put me in the police car, they opened the boot and they went, you're lucky we didn't use this. They had a battering ram. I've got a bell. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, so what I was saying. Being arrested, obviously, as you can imagine, uh, not a pleasant experience. I had uh, fingerprints taken. I had photographs taken. I had a DNA swab taken from the inside of my mouth, which, uh, you know, didn't hurt but has scarred me in some way. And, of course, being on the DNA database means I've had to give up rape. But I am um, <laughs> – I'm joking. I, I still do it. But i got to say, I, uh, I, was then, I was then put I was then put, into, uh, put into a cell. Uh, The cell was horrible. Uh, It was 12 by 12. It had a little metal toilet in the corner, which I used a lot more than I was expecting. Um, And there was no bed. It was just the floor of the cell. the, The cement floor went up into the shape of a bed with the thinnest mattress you've ever seen. And I've stayed in an ibis. And they sat me down in front of a little old cassette recorder. Now, it's not a modern thing, it's an old thing. The reason for this, I've been told, is the fact that you can hear if it's switched off, because they're not meant to switch it off. So if, you, if you, With the new ones, you can put it off without, it, without anybody picking up. With the old ones, there's a big clunk, so you know it's been turned off. So they sat down, and they started it, and they interviewed me. And they said to me, Right, Mr. Aaron, we've seen the documentary, and I promise you this is true, I don't know why, probably because I was nervous, it's actually on the tape, I said to them, do you think I looked fat in it? (laughs) And one of them went, no, I thought you looked all right, really. And he said, I really enjoyed it. And the other one said, well, I thought it was rubbish, I didn't see the point. I thought I was playing good reviewer, bad reviewer. Um, So we went through the whole thing. Everything they asked me I told them the honest answer. Did you do this? Yes. Did you do that? I said, yes, it's there. I filmed it. I've done it all. I'm admitting to you, I did everything. And then they said to me, right, we need to speak with your accomplice. I said, I don't have an accomplice. I did it all by myself, which I was quite proud of. They said, no, we want to speak to David Skies, who worked with you. I said, I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. And then I realized, when you fill in a driving license application form in the UK, you need two photos. On the back of one of the photo... Um, you have to have somebody sign it as a witness to say they know who you are. Now, I didn't want to do that myself. That would be fraud. Um, (laughs) And I knew Charles Clark would be busy. So I I made up a name and the name I made up was David Skies. So I told them this and they said to me, we don't believe you. And I said, look at the signature, which of course read, Disguise. They, um, They had to go to the back of the room to laugh so it wasn't picked up on the tape.